0: Welcome to Leadership Matters, a podcast hosted by me, Steve Parker. This is a series that brings a fresh perspective to leadership motivation and how to succeed by talking to a diverse range of CEOs, business managers, and world-class talent. We also offer some personal tips to help you in your career. Each episode aims to provide a snapshot into the life and philosophy of some of Taiwan and the world's most successful leaders, and to find out more about why leadership matters. We're very lucky today to have uh, David de Villa uh, on the podcast. David has worked as a leadership coach, an executive leadership coach and consultant for over a decade, helping over 30,000 leaders from the boardroom to the shop floor. Uh, He's helped me on more than one occasion (laughs) when I've needed it. Uh, In addition to 20 plus years of study in in Eastern traditions, he's a board certified coach with postgraduate degrees in leadership and a member of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches. I kind of wonder why he's talking to me, but uh, I'm very flattered that he's taken the time out today. You've done all this work with a lot of very, very impressive leaders, and your job is to lead them through kind of, uh, I guess, into helping them. How, how, how would you really describe what you do when it comes to, you know, guiding these people who are in their own right, powerful, intelligent people who lead organizations?
1: Yeah, thanks, Steve. You know, I, I don't see myself as as leading them. I, I I sort of picture myself as a, as a thinking partner. Uh, as you say, most leaders, I mean, really anyone who is um, quite senior in, in, in an executive role, especially in a large company, they, they probably didn't get there by accident. Most people at that level, they're, they're quite intelligent, they're considerate people, um, they think about things from multiple angles. But sometimes it's precisely that people who are at the top of their game um, can also be trapped by the same experience that led them there. And so I think about uh, athletes, you know, uh, people at the top of their game, Michael Phelps in swimming, uh, Michael Jordan, when he was playing basketball, I mean, you know, these people are great at what they do. At the same time, there's some stuff that they might need some help with, there's some aspects of themselves that they might not be able to see clearly. And so they benefit from having a coach—not someone who plays the game better than them per se, but someone who has experience with people like them and can see things that they might have a hard time seeing. And so that's that's how I see myself as more of a partner than than a, a leader or even a guide.
0: I've been very lucky to talk to some really, really good uh, leadership people, and some of the people that, that you know yourself, some of the other leadership coaches, executive coaches that I've worked with. I. It's a question that kind of comes up for me is, you know, this idea of, I mean, is it easier to coach or is it easier to lead? I mean, wh-
1: where do you find yourself? On it? It's kind of ironic. I was joking with someone the other day. They were asking me about my own business and, you know, staff that I have. And, and I used to have staff and I no longer have staff. And, you know, the funny thing about me, I guess, is that I, I, I help people, to lead and manage other people, but I don't like doing it myself. So <laughs> if that's any indication, and, and another thing is, you know, when I work with, with managers on coaching skills, one of the things I often tell them is that their job is a lot harder than mine because the people that I coach, I have no formal authority over them. You know, I, I have no uh, deadline. I have no, no real... Um pressure to get them to do anything. So it really allows me to be less biased, to be less attached to the outcome, which I think helps. When one has formal authority over someone else and they're trying to ask good questions, they're trying to get them to think for themselves, they're trying to develop them, at the same time, they're wearing that leader hat, they're also wearing a manager hat. They've got their own KPIs. They've got pressure from their line management um, and so it's not easy to, to, to do that but we know from the research we know from our own firsthand experience that um, when managers become better coaches, they become better at their job and they have more positive impacts and it, help, it helps their career as well. so you know the benefits are clear but no it's, it's not easy. This transition from being a you know, a, a worker?
0: right? Someone who does a functional job into being a leader and a manager and a coach. Uh, is that something that you've, do you think, do people have
1: difficulty going through this process? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, so there's a book called The Leadership Pipeline, um, which talks about this issue specifically. Um, there are a few different transitions that, that can happen, can happen in one's career if they sort of follow the, the trajectory that um, is more or less common, right? We start as an individual contributor and then we become a, a supervisor a manager of people. Then we become like a leader of leaders, right? So the people beneath us have their own people. We become then from there, maybe a functional leader, department leader, business leader. Um, that first transition from individual contributor, the way that I see it is the norm is one is very good at their job. Let's say I'm a sales guy. I'm the best sales guy, or I'm 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 a top sales guy. And somebody recognizes me and says, you're really good at selling our widgets. Can you teach other people to sell like you? And so I get promoted, I get a team of salespeople, and now it's my job to get them to sell better. And that's sort of more or less how it goes. We get promoted based on our technical competence as an individual contributor, but we know that it, one has nothing to do with the other. My skill as a salesperson has nothing to do with my ability to to manage or to lead people. They're separate skill sets. But because we've been continually validated over the course of our career for being a problem solver, we get to the point where, as a leader, we're not actually supposed to be a problem solver. But we're so good at problem solving that we can't get out of that paradigm And so that leads to things like micromanagement. When I've recognized a problem, I've thought about the problem, I've quickly come up with a solution to the problem, and now when I engage my team, I'm already at the point in my own decision-making process where the solution seems clear, or at least a type of solution seems clear. So I present this solution to this this group, and and if I'm, a conscious leader, conscientious leader, and I, and I recognize that I don't want to tell people what to do, I, I might do something like this. I might go, hey gang, um, so here's what I think we need to do, but I'm not wed to the idea, you know, I want to hear your ideas, but I just want to get the conversation started. What are your thoughts? What's your feedback? And a lot of leaders do this, and I see you smiling. You probably, <laughs> you've probably heard yourself say something like this. And then what do you get back? crickets. They almost never give feedback, or if they do, it's almost never actionable. It's almost never different. And the end result in that meeting, the solution you you land on is usually not much different than the one you initially proposed. Why is that? Well, theoretically, you would have a wide spectrum of possibility but you've anchored them to one particular idea. And so now the conversation is completely anchored by that idea, by you as the one who holds authority in that relationship. How do you, I mean, is this,
0: do you need to have some kind of epiphany with these people before they can change? Or is, is they have they already had the epiphany and then they come to you and then you can work with them to kind of guide them towards this, uh, this change?
1: Yeah, everyone's at a different stage. You know, it's gonna depend on the individual. Um, I, I would say that the leaders that make the most progress are the ones that are not only aware, but they're committed to change. Um, depending on when we meet, you know, they might be low or high on that awareness scale or they might be low or high on that commitment scale. Um, in, in transformational um, learning, um, by Mesereau, there's uh, it's like nine steps to how to make this sort of transformation. Um, the first step, which I think is is the most important step, um, is what he calls a disorienting dilemma. So according to Mesereau, one doesn't really make a substantial change or a transformation as he would call it um, until they've encountered a disorienting dilemma and a disorienting dilemma often looks like the moment you use the word epiphany, it's that moment where we recognize that our, our actions, our behaviors, the way we're living our life or doing things doesn't actually match our espoused values, the things that we say are important. I can give you a simple example. Um, During COVID. I like many others gained a bit of weight. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't uh, I, I I wasn't moving around as much. And it's not like my habits had changed so so dramatically. Uh, we're not snackers at home. If you look in our in our pantry, you know, you won't find a lot of sugary things. Um, the only drink I have other than coffee and water is sparkling water. Um, yet, because I was moving around less, I was probably drinking more alcohol than before. Um, things just slipped. And did I have awareness around it? Yeah, sure. I could see myself in the in the mirror. Uh, my wife would make some snide comments. You know, uh, yes, of course. I knew I was aware. I had full awareness that I had gained weight. Was I happy about it? No. Was I going to do anything about it? No. You see, I could talk, and somebody could coach me and say, "David, what do you think you should do?" Mm, well, I think I should probably get on that exercise bike, and I think I should probably, you know, I I could rationalize the kind of change that I should make, but I didn't change. And I think a lot of people are there with awareness is they know what they need to do, they just don't do it because they haven't had the disorienting dilemma yet. For me, what was it? My daughter, when she was, I guess she was six years old at that time, she comes and she sits on my lap, she puts her hand on my belly and she says, Daddy, you're starting to look like Santa Claus. And (laughs) I mean, that was just a knife in the heart, but it wasn't her bluntness that that made me go, aha, it was the fact that in that moment, I realized what my leadership role really was, I'm supposed to be a role model for my children. And all the values that I espouse and the things that I tell them are important, like being healthy, I'm not following through on. I'm a hypocrite. And that's all it took. It took me realizing that the things that I say and I think are important, I'm not following through on. And when confronted with a choice between changing your values and beliefs and changing your behavior, I would say behavior is much easier to change.
0: Behaviors are easier to change than values. And I think yeah. with your level of background in this and your the the number of people that you've dealt with, I, I it's a big question. I know it's a huge question, but what why 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 is it so hard for people to live up to their own values? <sighs> <laughs> I know it's From, a big
1: question. It is a big question and 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 there are probably multiple facets. I, I I guess approaching it from maybe more of an organizational behavior um, uh perspective I, I i think defensiveness is rampant you know our our psychology basically evolved to protect us um from uh from threats in our environment and that includes being kicked out of a tribe you know that that includes um uh being put in situations where we might not survive. And so, so we're always unconsciously doing these threat assessments. And I think that oftentimes what happens in an organizational context is you want to be perceived a certain way. And so that keeps one from being authentic, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit uh, paradoxical. I, I, I want to solve the problem that's in front of me. Maybe, for example, our company is having um, uh, revenue issues. Um, we've got a new competitor in the marketplace. Um, you know, Whatever, whatever the, the, the issue may be. And I want to solve it. However, that same drive to solve is paired with this desire to not piss people off or not have conflict or protect my reputation or l- let me give you a, a, an even simpler example let's say i want to give i want to give feedback to, to my employee and in my mind i'm thinking well i want to give them something truthful i want to give them something actionable i want to be helpful but i also don't you know want to make them cry or, <laughs> or make them upset so 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 i'm 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 going to do something like you know the the shit sandwich Right? Like, oh, you know, you're a really valued employee, by the way, you need to fix x, y, and z. uh, But we really value you as an employee. And so they leave that meeting going, I'm a valued employee. And stuff like that, you know, and and it's, you know, it's that psychology, and then it's bias, which creates blind spots. Um, I I can give another simple example relating to role modeling. I was coaching a, a, a GM. And he manages a a very large portfolio of business um, uh, for greater China. It's a a global company, but he's a GM for greater China. And he's got three business units reporting into him. So he's got three direct reports. And he says to me, David, I need these guys to empower their people and stop telling them what to do. Sounds good. Why is that important? Because they've got very uh, ambitious 2025 strategic objectives. They're not going to hit it if they've got so much on their own plate. I go, yeah, that sounds very reasonable. Let me ask you a question, leader. What have you done to empower them? He goes, no, 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 You see, they need to empower their people. Yeah, yeah I hear you. How are you empowering them? He goes, no, 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 Dave, you're not, you're, not, you're not hearing me. They need to empower I go, I am. How do they know what empowerment looks like? Well, because I told them what empowerment looks like. You see, I, I told them that they need to stop telling their people what to do. Right? And so I just kept reflecting that back to him and, and eventually he got it he goes, oh shit, David, I'm not empowering my people, am I? Hey, great, now we got to awareness. Shit. right? But this is the thing that I see time and time again is we have all these expectations of others and even though conceptually, like clearly the guy, he's smart enough to know that empowerment is a good thing. That's why he wants his people to do it. So it's not like he's got the wrong idea. He's just not doing it himself. How, how would how, you know if you're the
0: next one above that you're, you know, you're having to kind of coach or teach or train this person into being a leader? How, how do you go about dealing with someone who is completely <laughs> unaware of who they are? Perhaps terrible behaviors or, uh, or, 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 you know, not
1: empowering people, you you know? Well, oftentimes that leader, the way they would, um, encounter someone like me or other, other friends of ours, um, Would be that their their leader or someone in their organization more senior to them sponsors them and you know tells them you need to go you need to go on a coaching course or you need to you know go to this training or you need to talk to David or whatever. Um, I remember I I fielded a call once from a German company um, and they said, "Can you?" Can and it wasn't the conversation wasn't much different to this. It was you know more or less, "Can you fix this leader?" I said, "No." You haven't even told me anything, and I can tell you no right away. I can't fix anyone. Um, what's the What's the problem? And they say, Well, so this is the board of a company. They say, Well, we just we just bought out this company in China, and the owner of the company is now a VP, and he's not he's not playing ball, and so we need him to change. And through a little bit of conversation, I could suss out that they were. This was the last straw for them. They were they were ready to fi- just fire him. You know, can you imagine the guy? You know, spent you know I don't know twenty years or whatever building up building up that company, and then he sold it, and he'd get fired. They didn't. You know, they didn't. They they were hoping not to do that. So this was basically the last straw. It's like you know, you fix him or we fire him, and in addition, we want you to coach two other leaders at the same level so that he doesn't he doesn't realize that it's just him. You know, this is all very manipulative. You know, and 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 it's like this. You know. How do you give someone awareness that doesn't have awareness? You could shock awareness into someone. That happens. You you could do that. But now you're going to be up against this huge wall of defense. You know, people don't change unless they really want to change. Anyone who's married knows that. You don't change another human being, right? And so to me, it, it gets to a very simple point, you know? have an open and honest conversation with another human being and help them understand why this matters why it should matter to them um and assuming you've done that effectively it's their choice whether or not they agree and if they don't agree let them be an adult and make their choice and they can leave you know um we all, i mean we all quote be the change you want to see but do we really do it and do we know that we don't do it to your earlier point about awareness and, you know, having that mirror in front of us, it's an uncomfortable thing. I mean, leadership, real leadership requires a certain amount of courage and humility um, that not everyone has all the time, you know, that, that, that might waver and wane, but, um, having a coach, an advisor, a peer, a friend, a mentor, having someone in a role that effectively acts as that mirror can be very helpful for raising that awareness. Right.
0: Yeah. That's super true. That's a, uh, that's a really, really good point. I, I have a question I kind of want to, I want to flip this a little bit is that I see leaders who are threatened by those people who have that natural charisma the people who kind of naturally lead a group of people. They might be the office manager, they might be the you know one of the sales reps. They might be uh, you know somebody who does a function that's completely outside of the of the leadership chain. But somehow people go to them to get solutions to things.
1: Yeah, I, I don't see I don't see a reason to be threatened. You know, I, I think if if one does feel threatened in that situation, it's worth asking oneself why. And I suspect many times it has to do very simply with. Job security, you know, um, and if 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 someone else can do my job, then what job do I do? I, in my experience, and you know, I I, I could be wrong, but from what I can tell, um, those kind of people managers um, have a hard time uh, moving up. I mean, in general, like you know, I think I think we stigmatize, you know, sort of. Um, uh, executives as being you know political, being overly ambitious and I mean there, there are definitely some qualities there, right but um, by and large I mean most people are good people or at least they try to be um, <clears throat> and and so it's it, the people who who do that stuff they they tend not to last all that long and the, and they tend not to make very positive impacts on the people around them. And that's part of the reason why they don't st- stick around long. You know, there are there are exceptions to that, of course, um, um, but you know, by and large, it's the ones that are trying to do right by others that 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 tend to do better. And I I think that's the case more and more. I you know, one one of the the things that I'm very optimistic about is is that direction of corporate culture. There's a I mean, there's a lot you know that 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 needs to be worked on in general, but. Um, there's a, there's a new consciousness around leadership and the the kinds of leaders that we want to be around, um, I think has changed. and, And that's, that's definitely for the better. Well, this also goes back to something that, you know, often leaders,
0: there's an expectation on, I think yourself, but also from other people that you're supposed to be just super busy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other story here. We're getting this whole kind of like work-life balance here. But I've heard a lot of really good insights today about kind of how to be a manager. This thing about aligning your internal and your external selves. You know, trying to, you called it a- authenticity. You know, understanding that we can't always be that person, but nonetheless try to be the authentic self. When you're when you're managing, this thing about and this is an extension of that. This idea of kind of values and behaviours being different sometimes. You know, we all know what we should be doing. We all know what we think we ought to do, but our behaviours may not match up with those values. And so again, comes back to alignment, right? Aligning your values with your behaviours. A lot of what you talked about was kind of uh, this sort of dichotomy of two different things. This knowing. And doing are two different things. Again, you know what to do, but do you do it? They're not necessarily the same thing. And and I like this idea of where you brought up about this idea of a catalyst for change. You mentioned it. You you told a wonderful story about your your daughter kind of placing her hand on your belly and just saying, you know, you're starting to look like Santa Claus, Um, you know. But there has to be a moment that kind of when we're confronted with a choice or a dilemma or something that makes us want to change um, otherwise there's no impetus to change um, and this other one i love too because as, as a leader myself i think this is great is is try to make yourself obsolete i know it's a, it's an old phrase you know drucker's uh, been around for a long time but this idea of you know a manager's job is to kind of make themselves obsolete and, and and the last thing that you said, which I think is something that I think we all need to hang on to, because work and, work and jobs can get personal. And I think we just have to remember, as you said, that most people are good people. So if you start from that, I think it makes it easier to communicate with people regardless of the direction a conversation or a, or, or a kind of a work
1: practice is going. The thought comes to my mind that you know there there is another school of thought that says your behaviors are a tell to what your real values are regardless of what you espouse and that's an interesting path to go down as well uh, in terms of coaching is um, you know when you do you know like assessments like 360s or things like that you know um, when you or, or sometimes for example you know all shadow leaders when they're running a meeting And I'll take notes in the background and then, you know, I'll share my observations after the meeting. Um, People oftentimes don't know what they're doing in the moment. Um, And so when they get more clarity on what they've just done, oftentimes the reaction they have is, well, that's not what I meant to do or what I meant to say is this perhaps, but what you actually said is this. And we can't expect people to read our minds. And so to your point about alignment, there's a lot of work to be done, reflective work. And there are many ways to reflect. Uh, There are many traditions, Eastern traditions, Western traditions that help one to reflect and be clearer on oneself and one's mind. But the first step is to know, like, what do I actually want? What do I actually want to say? What's the outcome that I'm trying to get out of this? That's step one, is to gain that consciousness, because a lot of that is actually unconscious. Um, and it doesn't take a lot to get it out. At least, you know, as a as a coach, it, it, it you know, within a few questions, usually, like we can get out, like, what did you actually want from that? And it's usually something pretty simple, and it's usually something good. Um, and then the next step is, to your point, is is getting it out and saying it and doing the things in the way that you meant to do them or say them, so that they're resonant with the other person so with that you're more likely to get the outcome that you want because chances are at some level right at, and it may not be at the current level you're communicating at but at some level if you go deep enough there's an alignment between you somewhere there's something that you and the other person can agree on and that's exactly the place to start collaborating from that's that's a fantastic place to finish up. This
0: idea of that you you finding the common ground because there will be an area that the two of you can align on. David, it, it's been a joy as always to talk to you. Thank you for taking some time out of your very very busy day to spend some time with uh, with me on this uh, on this little podcast.
1: Cheers! Thank you very much for having me, Steve.
0: You can listen to this podcast live on the fourth Monday of every month on ICRT and after that on the ICRT website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Leadership Matters by Stephen Parker. You can also check out my social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, you name it. We'll see you next time.